welcome to the Best of the Left podcast, with clips today from The Majority Report, Rachel Maddow, and The Young Turks. Oh my gosh, it's the two-year anniversary of Air America Radio, and Barry Lank, a writer and... Uh, one of the earliest employees of this fine institution. Right, you're fact. still here. I'm still here. I'm here. I've been here for more than two years. What gives? I don't know. How did you're in the uh, documentary uh, made about uh, Air America's almost demise yeah, on I'm, HBO? I'm generally, I have no lines. I'm standing next to people giving bad news and mm-hmm. just kind of nodding and then going about my work. Well, Sam Cedar says something I, I've always remembered that uh, on that film when yet another round of uh, problems is going to be discussed with the staff uh-huh. and. Uh, I think they were going to find out if, if Air America was going to survive yeah. or not. And Again. Sam goes, okay. in my experience, good news travels fast. Yeah, I remember you guys that. have been waiting like an hour. Yeah, that was the meeting. That's when uh, mm-hmm. we didn't know what was going on. We'd heard a few rumors that uh, empl- uh, the payroll checks had bounced. Right. And then that's when, and I was looking around going, I wonder where Evan Cohen is. <laughs> yeah. And that's that's when uh, Doug Krieger came in and, and basically told us we might go out of business. Right. We almost went meeting. out of business a few times, but not as many times as Fox has predicted. Bill yeah. O'Reilly makes stories about that. Up that's interesting. Yeah, they added a few. Uh, I, I think we've been around for two years, and I, I, was, I was telling it up. Well, they used to predict that we weren't going to go on the air. Right. So before we went on the air... We were supposed to fail then. Right, and then we'd have no audience, right. according to... Uh, because the media is liberal, so how would we stand out right, right. from the liberal media? But the thing is, because we succeeded, that proves the media is not liberal. It's interesting they never revisit that. that I, uh, exactly, and they also don't... Well, there's all kinds of false narratives that just get trotted out on a daily basis. Why? You know, even yeah. and the language is important. The, the wrong language, war on terror, ridiculous... Mm-hmm. Partial birth abortion uh, doesn't exist. Okay. Um, values voter. You know what I mean? Like all of yeah. these these accepted tropes that basically are divorced from meaning and yeah. also convey the wrong meaning when you apply them to the Republican Party and their fan base. Yeah. Well, that, as a matter of fact, I, I was keeping track of this. Six months ago, Michelle Malkin went on uh, Bill O'Reilly's show, and I don't remember whether she said it or he said it, but they predicted that we would be out of business by last December. Mm-hmm. Um, then about a month ago, they predicted we'd lose our New York station. Right. That was the last one. No, I don't know. Well, it's the same thing as I always say when any of the Bush administration people or the president talks. Uh, whenever they make a statement, A, you know the opposite is true. Yeah, every time. B, nothing is true till it's officially denied. If they say the, they mean the opposite of the. It's... Well, it's a, well, and also there should just be a chyron, that, since it's the public airwaves, ostensibly. Yeah. A chyron should say when Condi Rice or George Bush or Michelle Malkin or Bill O'Reilly speaking, mm-hmm. these people have no credibility. It should just flash on the screen. Bear in mind... These people have no credibility. Take it with a Morton Salt can of salt. Well, you need, where you need Bush subtitles, where whatever he says, they sort of subtitle the opposite. You know? But but I want to uh, reread a little bit of a story from last night and a new story from tonight that if anybody ever needs to very quickly sum up today's Republican Party and, and what it's all about, mm-hmm. and also the uh, that type of failure that is supported in our mainstream corporate media, which, as Amy Goodman has pointed out on numerous occasions, shouldn't be called mainstream media anymore. It's radical. <laughs> Like the, the, the views, radical, the radical conservative conservatives media. that now dominate the Republican Party and the narratives that mm-hmm. are, are pumped out through the corporate media. This is from yesterday, and this, this sums them up perfectly, and then I'll add a couple more for today. Okay. Okay. On Capitol Hill, 
The Senate has approved a new bill to restrict government lobbying. The bill would deny senators gifts and meals from lobbyists and limit their ability to insert special interest provisions in large spending bills. The measure was immediately criticized for containing several loopholes and not introducing any enforcement mechanisms. Uh-huh. There is also no oversight. Uh-huh. There will also be no independent counsel to investigate lobbying. That there you go. That's not a law. That's a request. We'd like it very much if you if you would stop doing that. And then another addendum to that would yeah. be to investigate members of the Senate or Congress who are linked directly to Jack Abramoff. Capitol uh-huh. Hill, the Republicans blocked a measure. He's the only one who ever broke those laws. Right. Well, the Republicans have blocked a measure to investigate uh-huh. the uh, members of Congress linked directly to lobbyist Jack Abramoff. Now... That's what it's all about. Now, in addition to that, there's a third thing added today, as uh, many of you listening may know, that there have been uh, very lax uh, new cafe standards for fuel efficiency and emissions mm-hmm. that um, sure. what from else is new? our cars and right. from uh, various and sundry other pollutants. And with the Bush plan, which is a giveaway to the auto industry, we will have a 4% reduction in emissions by 2020. Okay. Now, different states have taken offense to this, as well they should, uh, mm-hmm. especially California, and yeah. they've decided they're going to go their own way on this and try and be more invent- environmentally sane mm-hmm. and have their own standards. Well, apparently, right. in these cases, there's no state's rights. The Bush administration huh. with the auto industry is going to block California and yeah. other states. Uh-huh. to independently reduce their own emissions and be more environmentally friendly. Now, yeah. when you can guarantee states' rights via the Republican Congress, Senate, and House, mm-hmm. and everything else, uh, if you want to be discriminatory, if you want to ban gay marriage, if you want to discriminate against women's rights to reproductive freedom, if you want to make sure that uh, immigrants or undocumented are treated as cruelly as possible, then the states, yeah, you do your own thing, states, right? That's what conservatism is all about. You want to fly that Confederate flag? You want to deny the Plan B at Target in your state? Yes, say Republicans. Well, yeah, you know, the, the thing is, too, when it, when it came to uh, fuel, saving fuel, what did, what did Cheney call it? A personal... Personal responsibility, a perso- personal choice. A, a personal, or like a personal attribute or something like that. Anyway, they've apparently outlawed the personal... Attribute, or, or you know, the personal choice, personal virtue. Personal virtue. Thank you very much. That's exactly. Out, right. They outlawed virtue. But the public virtues are your sexual proclivities, your privacy, your reproductive rights, and your skin color. The, you know what I mean? That's all. Being gay isn't personal. And you know, as everybody knows by now, the some of the 911 tapes were released. Yeah. And uh, New York released a bunch of 911 tapes, mm-hmm. and it had to be released through a Freedom of Information Act request because. Thanks to the Bush administration, everything is Everything's a secret. Yeah. Everything is a secret. My That's another thing about the Republican Party. Yeah. Secrecy, no yep. oversight. Secrecy, yep. no oversight. Basically, F you. Yeah. That's contempt. Laws, contempt, laws contempt. passed without enforcement. Right. And wh- what happens when there's contempt, Barry, in a relationship? What happens when one is contemptuous of another in a relationship? Uh, well, many terrible things can happen. The destruction of said relationship. There's, there's the end of the relationship and a lot of abuse down the road before you get to the destruction of the relationship. So the government and the media mm-hmm. is contemptuous of the American people. Yeah. At nay, global citizens. So, therefore, we have a destroyed relationship. It is, it is as dysfunctional as any other abusive relationship, spousal mm-hmm. or otherwise. Right. Because we have an administration and a media that supports them. They lie to you. They take your money, literally. Mm -hmm. They dirty your air. They make you less safe. Yeah. They abuse you. And you can't abuse and lie to someone the way the radical media. (laughs) I'm just just thinking, like, how long you stay in a relationship when the relationship has a 34% approval rating. 
Well, when, when you're married, when you're only 34 percent into your marriage. Well, here's of... the thing: most people have never liked him. Yeah. The myth is that people have liked him, and I want to play. Do we have how much time do we have? Yeah. Okay. Now, I'm gonna talk manufacture consent. It's a it's a marvelous idea that Noam Chomsky put into the public conversation, okay. I believe. And or maybe it was Marshall McLuhan. I don't remember, but whatever it was, it was. Larry, good. a guy I knew in high school. But either well, then he's a very bright yeah, guy. He's a brilliant guy. Yeah. Have you you know about Southern Comfort, the drink Southern Comfort? Well, apparently, <laughs> oh, yes. the company of uh, the corporation that owns and manufactures Southern Comfort and the marketers have decided to create the idea that in our culture. Soco and lime, Southern Comfort and lime. <laughs> Soco and lime is the most popular drink in the world. Oh, good. And they've Heavens. given it its nickname uh-huh. and created the idea that it's being ordered all over. <laughs> Play the the Southern Comfort commercial. Let's start with Soco. You want to start with a round of Soco lime? Start us off with a Soco. Soco Lime apparently is hugely popular. I, I, I'm so out of the loop. Right. So I was watching those commercials. They run it all the time. They are manufacturing the idea of popularity. That, that, people are, that people are just doing this. Right. And uh, that the nickname's already, it's part of the, you know, it's, yeah. just, it's, it's like, don't go there or what's up with that. <laughs> and, and you know what I mean? Like they, Snap. They just, they just put it out there yeah. as if, you, oh, now that you're going to, you want to be with these attractive people all over the country from all walks of life ordering mm-hmm. the SoCo Lime. Yeah. That, that it's a manufactured nickname yeah. and popular drink that has, there's no evidence to support that a lot of people go to a bar yeah. on any night of the week and go, hey, let's start off with a SoCo lime. Yeah. Uh, SoCo, two SoCo limes here. So. It's the same thing with the Republican Party yeah. and their PR firm and the corporation formerly known as the U.S. government run by the Republicans. Mm-hmm. They manufacture consent, they manufacture popularity, and, and they make up names for <laughs> things like death tax and partial birth abortion, war on terror, now called the long war. I'll have a long war, please. Long war? Long war. Well, it's, it's, it's a war until it gets in Bush's way of one of his deals. And then it's a conflict. And then about a day later, it's a war again. Uh, but I guess it's in its last throws. They oh, branded yeah. that. That's trademarked last throws. Oh, yeah. No, the last throws, that's a, that's a good tradition now. Happy second anniversary, Air America. We'll be right back. Our next guest has been covering the prisoner abuse scandal since it broke uh, in Iraq back in April 2004. His reporting makes it difficult, to say the least, for the Bush administration to continue to insist that all these various abuses, uh, the ones in Iraq and in Afghanistan and in Guantanamo and all the other places we have yet to find out about, uh, are nothing more than the work of a, uh, the infamous few poorly trained bad apples. If you missed his article in the New York Times this past Sunday, we have linked to it at MaddoOnline.com today, New York Times correspondent. Eric Schmidt joins us on the phone from Washington, D.C. today. Eric, thanks very much for joining us. Hi, Richard. How are you today? I'm great. Thanks for, uh, thanks for joining us. Um, as I mentioned there in the introduction, the, the defense about 
prisoner abuse uh, and the prisoner abuse scandals has basically been that it's been a few bad apples that uh, and and the undercurrent in that is that it's you know it's reservists it's file clerks like Lindy England and people like this low level people who just went off the reservation who were rogue elements they weren't very well trained and they just made this stuff up they improvised but your story this Sunday is about what you describe as the military's most highly trained counterterrorism unit what is this task force 626 well the task force is a, is a special operations forces unit uh, that's operated by the United States military and its primary function is to kill or capture the most uh, dangerous uh, terrorists and insurgents both in Afghanistan and Iraq this was the unit that captured Saddam Hussein uh, this is the unit that is now hunting for uh, for Zarqawi and his his uh, insurgents in Iraq so these are the most elite warriors in the United States military. They include Navy SEALs, the Army's Delta Force, the Army's Rangers. And so these are the most highly trained and, and the most disciplined troops uh, in, in the U.S. military with, with some of the most important jobs in the military today. It's a relatively, it, it's a secret uh, task force, though. You, you describe the fact that the, even though you refer to it as Task Force 626, you refer to it having other names, Task Force 121 at various times, uh, they keep changing the name of it, and you also describe uh, the, the Camp Nama as a place that's at the, at the Baghdad airport as their secretive headquarters and a place where they're no longer headquartered. It seems like a very shadowy group to get a handle on. It is, and it is by design. They don't want... They certainly don't want their enemies knowing who they are, and they don't particularly want anybody else knowing who they are either. Uh, the, as you mentioned, the task force changes its names every several months just to keep people a little bit confused and off guard, uh, and they, they operate in a very secretive manner, and that's, that's again, by design. It's the, way, it's the way they feel they can gain an upper hand uh, when they're countering terrorists who are looking for any kind of advantage. Uh, in going after them. How did you then find out about it, and how were you able to get people to talk uh, on the record uh, ab about what this task force did, including the way they treated prisoners? Well, it was very difficult. My colleague, uh, Carolyn Marshall, and I spent several months uh, both going over documents that were released uh, as part of a Freedom of Information Act request by the American Civil Liberties Union. That gave us a start. Uh, but there were, also, uh, there were also tips that we had coming in to us that we were able to develop for people who were familiar with the task force's operations and who actually worked with the task force in Iraq and who agreed to speak with us uh, after we contacted them and then they did so initially reluctantly because of the very classified nature of the missions but they eventually did speak to us about their experiences and about what they saw because they were so appalled by some of the abuses that they saw conducted by the unit. What were some of the abuses that you found out about? The, uh, the headline in the article was, uh, In Secret Unit's Black Room, A Grim Portrait of U.S. Abuse. What were you actually able to find out about that? Right. Well, the task force had its headquarters at a secret base called, as you mentioned, Cap Nama, which was at Baghdad International Airport. This was established uh, sometime in late, uh, middle to late 2003, after the major combat operations in Iraq were over. And, and at this site, it was a detention interrogation facility. It was essentially a way station uh, for the insurgents they would capture off the battlefield or raid out of their homes, uh, oftentimes taking these people first to Camp Nama on their way to places like Abu Ghraib. And at Camp Nama, there was a particularly notorious uh, interrogation room called the Black Room. It was a windowless, uh, garage-sized room painted all black, 
And inside this room, we have learned that there were, uh, upon occasion, soldiers who beat prisoners with rifle butts. Uh, they punched them. Uh, and in, nearby, in a nearby area, they played a kind of game of jailer paintball, where they'd use the detainees as targets for this. And just shoot them with paintball guns. That's right. And in addition, we've learned that some of the outposts that this task force operated elsewhere in Iraq, there were other, uh, there were other types of abuses where we did learn that prisoners were punched. There were uh, reports by both uh, the FBI and the CIA of prisoners uh, brought in by this unit with burn marks on them, apparently either from stun guns or from uh, lighters and such. So there was a range of, uh, a range of things that certainly, uh, that certainly didn't meet the American interrogation standards. It's so hard from from here to get a to get to get perspective on how widespread and how extreme uh, the poor treatment of prisoners in Iraq has been. And one of the things that in your article, Eric, that I think gave me a sense that this is something that was really off the off the range was that that the CIA actually had a negative reaction to what they found out was happening to prisoners at Camp Nama. The CIA actually barred their personnel from going to Camp Nama because of the way that prisoners were treated there. That's right. In in beginning in August of 2003, the station chief in Baghdad sent back warnings to the CIA headquarters in Northern Virginia, saying that uh, the CIA officers in Iraq were seen. Uh, interrogation techniques used that they thought uh, went beyond went beyond proper techniques. And uh, in just a few days after this cable came in from the station chief, the CIA did bar its officers from operating at Camp Nama in these interrogations. The CIA still maintained, uh, you know, its officers there and did support the task force in providing information for them for their raids and on analyzing uh, some of the information they turned up, but they stopped participating in these in these interrogations that they felt were abusive and you know the CIA when we reported on other prison abuse issues uh, in Iraq uh, you know the Sabrina Harmon trial and things like that it was CIA interrogators who were blamed though never prosecuted uh, for for killing uh, the man who had the ice bag on his chest where Sabrina Harmon was infamously pictured giving the thumbs up and a big grin over his body you don't think of the CIA as as, as shying away from uh, harsh techniques against prisoners that to me was kind of a real double take uh, for for learning about this experience and Eric you know, you, you you described that this task force was an elite group and that they did they do have the task, they still have the task, obviously, of hunting down Abu Musab al-Zarqawi, who we clearly uh, don't have yet. And it raises the question of whether or not treating people this way and interrogating people under these conditions and burning people and shooting paintball guns at them and all the other stuff that happened here, whether that's a successful interrogation technique. I mean, they haven't caught Zarqawi. Is there any evidence that they got information through these means that uh, they couldn't have gotten through standard means or that their information is somehow better than normal interrogation techniques can get? Well, in, that, in Rachel, that is actually one of the more frustrating aspects of this and that despite these interrogation techniques and despite literally trying to beat, beat the truth out of some of these detainees, at least our sources said that these techniques yielded very little useful information. And in my reporting over the last several years, both in Iraq and Afghanistan and here in Washington, uh, the professional interrogators, military interrogators, and civilian interrogators I've spoken to said, obviously, if you put a detainee or a prisoner under enough duress, they'll tell you whatever they want, whatever you want to hear. Yeah. That's not the right way to get information out. Uh, there are much more ways of, of basically uh, getting inside the head of a prisoner, getting him, getting him or her to trust you, 
uh, in various ways, and that's that's a much more productive way ultimately. Now that said, obviously you're dealing the uh, the, the military and the CIA and others are dealing with with really difficult uh, difficult conditions over in Iraq right now. Oftentimes these are insurgents, obviously who are armed and uh, and obviously trying to kill them. So you're dealing with a very hostile situation, oftentimes very time sensitive, and trying to get information quickly to try and save or prevent uh, protect lives of Americans on the battlefield. Uh, so there is a balance here between the, the kind of methods that, the, that they are used and authorized to use and uh, in getting proper information. But it seems in this case, at least on uh, some of the instances we reported, that that line was crossed and crossed repeatedly. It's only a balance if by using these abhorrent techniques, you're getting more than you could if you, by not using these techniques. You know, that's what that's the part of it that honestly, not to be maudlin about it, but kind of breaks my heart about this, is that we're trading away our national honor in some cases and, our, and who, who we are as a nation, as an example to other countries in the world in exchange for nothing, in exchange for uh, not getting better information, for not getting stuff that we couldn't otherwise get. We're trading it away, we're getting nothing in return, and it's, you know, to, to imagine it as a balance is... Is, is the part that I think we're getting hung up on. I don't think it is at all. Eric, Eric your, uh, your reporting on this uh, is groundbreaking. I really appreciate it. I know that the, uh, the work and dedication that must have gone into this, uh, it's, it shows. Thank you very much for joining us. You're welcome. Thank you for having me, Rachel. Eric Schmidt is a correspondent for the New York Times. His article on the front page of the Sunday Times this weekend was about Task Force 626. Of course, it's not called Task Force 626 anymore, and they're not headquartered at Camp Nama anymore. They've moved to Balad, apparently, 45 miles north of Baghdad. The unit's operations now shrouded in even tighter secrecy, the secrecy that's supposed to make them more effective as a counterterrorism group also seems to have protected them from any accountability for their actions. some of the stories we're keeping an eye on here today at the Rachel Maddow Show this fine Friday morning. But every day here on the Rachel Maddow Show, we do so enjoy poking a sharp stick at the soft white underbelly of the right-wing scheme machine, giving you a little peek at their political playbook. Today's right-wing political playbook is one that is, I believe, designed to chip away at how our government works. It's this darn signing statement thing that they're doing. I don't know that anybody in the country is getting as apoplectic about this as I am, but I think it's scary. You remember the first time we talked about this was was with the John McCain torture bill. McCain got all this attention, made all this fanfare about getting 90 senators to sign on to a bill that very clearly outlawed torture by U.S. personnel anywhere in the world. Cheney lobbied against it. Bush was against it. But McCain got 90 votes in the Senate, and they realized they weren't going to be able to stop it, so Bush signed it. But you remember the way we talked about it, right? Bush did the equivalent of having his fingers crossed behind his back when he signed it. He signed it, and he issued a signing statement to go along with it. And the signing statement said, okay, even though this bill bans torture, I reserve the right as the president signing this bill to say some torture is okay. Doesn't matter what the bill says. The president just says, as president, I get to decide what law is and what law isn't. This is not the way our government is supposed to work, regardless of how you feel about George W. Bush. Right? The government, three branches. Congress makes the laws. The executive branch, the president, can veto those laws if he wants, but, but then Congress can override those vetoes. The Congress makes the laws. The president enforces laws and makes policies and regulations within those laws. 
And then the courts decide if our laws are consistent with the Constitution, and they judge people and policies that break those laws. That's it, right? Congress, the executive, and the courts. It's fifth grade civics. All equal. All three parts of the government, all equal under law. All under the Constitution. That's what we've got. That's the shining city on the hill thing. That's us. And this signing statement thing, therefore, makes me nuts. By doing the signing statement thing, by saying... This piece of the law I'll enforce, and this one I don't think applies to me because I'm the president. This puts the president at the top of the government, like a king instead of like a president. This is, it's screwed up, and now it's happened again. The Boston Globe today reports that when Bush signed the reauthorization of the Patriot Act this month, he issued another freaking signing statement. Apparently, only the Boston Globe and Patrick Leahy have noticed this. Uh, he had his fingers crossed behind his back when he signed this thing. He inclu- included a little addendum that said he didn't feel obligated to obey the requirements written into the law by Congress, the requirements that he inform Congress how the FBI would use its extra powers that, that, that are granted to them under, under the Patriot Act. The executive branch shall construe the provisions that call for furnishing information to entities outside the executive branch in a manner consistent with the president's constitutional authority to supervise the unitary executive branch and to withhold information. He's just saying, I'm not going to follow some of this stuff because I'm the president. What's in the law, Bush just doesn't feel like he's obligated to follow some of that because he's a king. Signing statements. It sounds like, you know, I'm talking about the Commerce Clause or trade policy or something. It sounds arcane, but it's pernicious. I feel like I'm the only person crying about this at this point, but I feel like it's a very fundamental base-level problem. I don't care how you feel about this one specific president, about George W. Bush, but when any president, when you start screwing with the fundamental system of government that says we've got a Congress to make laws, a president to enforce them, and courts to judge them by the Constitution, that's it. That's fifth-grade civics. When you start screwing with that... People ought to get mad. Welcome back to the Young Turks. Jank, Ben, and Jill with you. Eric Haney is a retired command sergeant major of the United States Army. He was a founding member of the Delta Force. That's the military's elite covert counterterrorist unit. He was part of the attempts to rescue hostages uh, back in 1980. He's been involved in a lot of covert operations, obviously, as part of the Delta Force with the U.S. Army for a long time. And as we said, a founding member of the Delta Force. Now, funny enough, of course, he's working on a CBS drama called The Unit. He's their military advisor, uh, technical advisor and executive producer. So he's out here in L.A. So L.A. Daily News did an interview with him. Thought, hey, look, here's a genuine... Right, this could be interesting. Find out what he has to say about the war. He's a genuine war hero, American hero. He, genuine tough guy, genuine war hero, obviously is someone who has a lot of experience in the military, uh, and uh, they describe him as a soft-spoken southern gentleman. And so they went and talked to him. They asked him very simple questions. He gave him very simple answers. I'd like to read uh, some of the questions and answers for you. Question number one, what is your assessment of the war in Iraq? Eric Haney, uh, founding member of the uh, Delta Force. Utter debacle, but it had to be from the very first. The reasons were wrong. The reasons of this administration for taking this nation to war were not what they stated. Army General Tommy Franks was browbeaten and pursued warfare that he knew strategically was wrong in the long term. That's why he retired immediately afterward. His own staff could tell him what was going to happen afterward. We have fomented civil war in Iraq. We have probably fomented internecine war in the Muslim world between Shias, Shias and Sunnis. And I think Bush may well have started 
the Third World War, all for their own personal policies. This er guy's not some big liberal softy. No. It's not Dennis Kucinich talking. <laughs> Next question. What is the cost to the country? Qu answer. Well, the first thing, our credibility is utter zero. So we destroyed whatever credibility we had, and I say we because the American public went along with this. They voted for a second Bush administration out of fear, so fear is what they're going to have from now on. Our military is completely consumed, so, they're, so were there a real threat, and thankfully there is no real threat to the U.S. and the world, but were there one, we couldn't confront it. Right now, that might not be a bad thing, because that keeps Bush from trying something with Iran or with Venezuela. The harm that has been done is irreparable. There are more than 2,000 American kids that have been killed. Tens of thousands of innocent Iraqis have been killed, which no one in the U.S. really cares about, those people, do they? I never hear anyone lament that fact. It has been a horror, and this administration has worked overtime to divert the American public's attention from it. Their lies are coming home to roost now, and it's going to fall apart. But somebody's going to have to clear up the aftermath, and the harm that it's done uh, is... Uh, I'm sorry, and the harm that it's done just to what America stands for. It may be two or three generations in repairing. Not missing his words, the former uh, founding member of the Delta Force. Uh, two things here. One, he talks about the 2,000 American kids dead. See, this is why, to some degree, the military guys are better at talking about this stuff. Because that's not an abstract um, concept to them. And that's not some, you know, the Republicans sometimes scream, they're a voluntary force. They're a voluntary force. Almost as if they had it coming. You know, hey, they volunteer for this army. The suckers get what they ask right. for. To those, to the guy who's been in the army for so long, those are real kids. Those are real people. They're 19, 20, 21, 25 years old, etc. He, you know, he's, his whole life's been around guys like this. And now they're dead. And that's a real cost to him. And he's fought people. And he knows when you kill somebody, it's also not a statistic. It's a real person you've killed. Yeah, and it's life-changing. Uh, we, we talked about that in the 2004 campaign that, uh, about what Ma Max Cleland said it about John Kerry. Uh, you know, it's one thing to die serving your country. It's another thing to kill serving your country. Uh, and it's, it's chilling, in fact. And I think Eric Haney is doing a great you know, service to the country by pointing out, look, Americans are supposed to care about other people. We're supposed to care that uh, there's 30, at least 30,000 dead Iraqi civilians yeah, We're supposed to care about that. Um, you haven't even gotten to the torture question. No, 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 we haven't even done that. And just real quickly, he says, look, you voted for fear, you're going to get fear. And, uh, and he's very right about that. I think Republican voters these days are cowards. They're so scared, they're willing to change the Constitution, they're willing to do the torture, they're willing to uh, invade countries that didn't attack us because uh, Bush has gone boo and scared them. And they have gotten scared because they're largely uh, people that are based their lives around fear, otherwise known as cowards. Okay. Now, question. What do you make uh, of the torture debate? Cheney. And the question is just says Cheney and uh, retired commander Eric Haney cuts him off and says. Look, look, I tell you what. Let me read this answer because I know you got 400 billion things to say about it and you just you interrupt me as if I'm Eric Haney. All right. That know. sounds great. Uh, so he answers the question and he jumped right as soon as the guy asks, what do we make of the torture debate? And then he goes, Cheney. And then Eric Haney's like off. He's like, you mentioned Dick Cheney's name. He interrupts. He's talking. He goes, uh, that's Cheney's pursuit. The only reason anyone tortures is because they like to do it. It's about vengeance. It's about revenge. Or it's about cover-up. You don't gain intelligence that way. Everyone in the world knows that. It's worse than small-minded. And look what it does. And then he points out he's argued it on Bill O'Reilly and other Fox News shows, because, of course, Bill O'Reilly and Fox News, they love torture. 
Yeah, because they're tough guys. They went right. They're tough. They're 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 tough Americans, and they they know what it takes to get the job done, even though no one thinks it works. Bill O'Reilly's a battle-tested. Vi- oh no, that's right. He grew up in Long Island and has never even come close to seeing actual warfare. Uh, he, then he points out that uh, the torturers that the, that these are people we're paying. They're doing it on our dime. We're actually paying someone to be a torturer. He points out it's worse than ridiculous. It's criminal. It's utterly criminal. This administration has been masters of diverting attention away from real issues and debating the silly. That is, it's not just this administration. That's Fox News. That's when the world's falling apart, and they're like, there's a war on Christmas. Shut up. There's not a war on Christmas. We're crying out loud. There's a war on Iraq. That's right, a real exactly. war. We've been, uh, that's funny. That's, uh, that, I don't know why we didn't say that more. Uh, diverting attention away from the real issues, debating the, the silly, debating what constitutes torture. Mistreatment of helpless people in your power is torture, period. God bless him. Thank you. Again, mistreating helpless people in your power is torture, period. And I'm saying this as a man who's been involved in the most pointed of our activities. I know it, and all of my mates know it. You don't do it. It's an act of cowardice. I hear apologists for torture say, well, they do it to us, which is a ludicrous argument. The Saddam Husseins of the world are not our teachers. Christ Almighty, we wrote a constitution saying what's legal and what we believed in. Now we're going to throw it away. How much do I love retired Command Sergeant Major of the U.S. Army, founding member of the Delta Force, Eric Haney? Yeah. Christ because Almighty, we wrote a constitution saying what's legal, what we believed in. Now we're going to throw it away. And, you know, we're glossing over an uh, employee of the, uh, of the month who's a torturer point. Uh, and it's, it's, a great, it's a very interesting point. He said, if you're going to do torture, you've got to hire a person to do torture. And he's like... Who's, who gets that job? Yeah. And are you comfortable for the United States government hiring somebody to be like, well, John, uh, you know, you seem to have good qualifications. Your resume holds up. Yeah. You're going to be our torturer in Guantanamo Bay. And if you have any other references of people uh, who can do some torture for us in Abu yeah. Ghraib or in, I, I you got, know, or in, or in Kandahar, you know, please let us know. Yeah, I got your list of references here, and I called some people you've worked with before. Unfortunately, they're all dead. Um, yeah. <laughs> some are missing limbs. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. Uh, these are real American heroes, and I suspect that when all is said and done and the smoke clears, that there are going to be maybe dozens of people who retired from the Army, uh, the military, because they didn't want to do this stuff. And, and I've read other stories of generals who said, you know what, no, if you're going to torture people, I don't want any piece of it. I'm just going to go, I'm not going to make a big deal out of it. That's not what we do in the armed forces. I'm just going to retire because I, I don't want that blood on my hands. Right. And I've read stories of like that, and we see people like Eric Haney, you see people like General Zinni, et cetera, et cetera, and you realize there are these true American heroes. And we're going to find out more about these people as time goes on. Last question and answer here from Eric Haney. Uh, and the guy asked him, as someone who's repeatedly put your life on the line, did some of the most hair-raising things to protect your country and to see your country behave this way, that must be... He answers, it's pretty galling. <laughs> like, you, don't, you can't even let these guys finish the question. But I ultimately believe, and this is, a, a, I think, a terrific point and one that bears repeating often and that we, all of us, sometimes uh, lose sight of and caught up in the, in the, in the uh, uh, 
ridiculousness of the Bush moment, of the heinous things that Bush does. We lose sight of what Eric Handy says here. He says it's pretty galling to see our country behave this way. But ultimately, I believe in the good and the decency of the American people. And they're starting to see what's happening and the lies that have been told. Been told. We're seeing this current house of cards start to flutter away. The American people come around, he says. They always do. Real American. Love this guy. That's what America's supposed to be about. And, uh, you know, Ben and I agree on this. Ben has stressed this point many, many times before, and I hope that I, we're now beginning to see the beginning of it where America does straighten out the ship and that America is not going to go down this road forever. But, again, the only reason, you know, now to I mean, uh, thank you for, uh, uh, for saying that, but, uh, uh, but now I'll throw it back at you because, of course, one of the only reasons that they, if, if, we, if we don't ever say anything, then they might not see it. Part of the whole process of us figuring it out is journalists and, and, and people who care saying, hey, no. And so, you know. And retired generals yeah, and retired no. Delta Force members. They and, do more than any of us can. Yeah, and, and they, they have, come out and say, look, this is, we wrote a guy, Christ go almighty, we wrote a constitution specifically so we wouldn't do you know, terrible things like and that. And we keep, you know, Eric Haney strikes us as significant because he's the latest one, but you mentioned General Zinni. Uh, you know, we, we have uh, Paul Rykoff uh, on the show a lot who served in Iraq and runs uh, 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 Iraq and Afghanistan war veterans. Veterans for, of America. Veterans for America, right. Iraqi and Afghanistan veterans for America. And, and for crying out loud, you know, and, and General Zinni, General Shinseki, uh, General Wesley Clark, you know, a guy who was fairly apolitical and then saw in 2004, this is crazy. This is crazy, crazy, crazy. These are, these are real American heroes. And this, the fact that Eric Haney uttered a line that we kept repeating so often soon after Saddam was captured, soon after and then after the Abu Ghraib photos surfaced. And, and he mentioned it here, Eric Haney says, they do it to us. Uh, and, and he says it perfectly well, a point that I don't think we made as eloquently on the show, although we certainly tried. Eric Haney says, the Saddam Husseins of the world are not our teachers. And, and that is exactly right. I love that quote. By the way, I'm sorry I don't have the general's name in front of me, but a general did specifically retire because he was, would not sign on to torture. And these are the high name, prominent ones are not the only ones. Remember all those uh, uh, colonels, generals, admirals, etc. that walked into the White House and said, Mr. President, don't sign these torture memos. It's a bad idea. It hurts our troops. Please don't do it. And they were ignored. And uh, for, uh, furthermore, they were not invited back to future meetings. Yeah. Remember, they did not retire. Some of them, you know, they went on protesting what was happening, but they were dismissed because what would the troops know about uh, fighting a war? Tough guys like Cheney and Rumsfeld and Bush know all that they need to know. You know, I mean, uh, how many people of significance does this administration get to ignore? I mean, you mentioned that group, and then uh, uh, the, I can't remember their name, uh, the, but the, you know, the foreign... Uh, foreign service uh, 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 veterans. The, the seventy-two diplomats and ambassadors. Diplomats and ambassadors who, who who wrote and said, and, and generals. It was a myth. It was generals, ambassadors, by right. writing in for military, saying, "Please don't do that." And then regarding science, the you know whatever it was, the four hundred and eighty-two Nobel Prize winners saying, "You're wrong on climate control. You're wrong on, on so many things." When you've politicized science, they don't care. They ignore, and it's not like it's not like four hundred talk show hosts. 80 talk show hosts, <laughs> you know, 80 self-help book writers. And 65 bloggers. Right, 85 <laughs> Maxim girls and 120 bloggers. These are, these are generals, ambassadors, and Nobel Prize winning scientists. These are exactly the kind of people who you want your government to reach out to to make policy because they understand what they're talking about. People who not only have spent their lives protecting America, 
but people who have spent their lives protecting the idea of America. And that's exactly who Eric Gainey is, Young Turks. Thanks for listening, everybody. Here's some free advice for you. I'm sure all of you have heard before how important it is to back up all of your important files from your computer so you don't lose them. Uh, you know, if your computer crashes, maybe the files get corrupted, you can always go back and get them. Here's what they don't tell you. When you start having troubles with your computer files, remember that you took the time to back them up in the first place. Because if you take the time to back them up, but then you start having trouble, you know, with like a corrupt file in, in your website program or just something like that, just for instance, uh, and then you forget that you backed them up, all of those backed up files don't actually do you any good. So, you know, if you forget that you backed up those files, you might spend like 12 hours on your day off rebuilding, just for instance, your website again, even though you had the files backed up the whole time and didn't need to do any of that. So, taking this totally hypothetical situation, just imagine how sad you would be when you realized that you wasted all that time just because you forgot that you had the files backed up already. So keep that in mind. Back up those files, but also when you start having trouble, go to the backed up files first, because that usually fixes the problem. On a totally unrelated note, my website is up and running again at 100%. All of the shows are on there again. That's why your feed got messed up one more time. But um, that should be it. Um, the website's fixed. Uh, until I have problems with it again, your feed should stop screwing up so often. So just delete all the crap you don't want, and it'll run like butter as it uh, as it has been up until just recently so go to the website bestoftheleftpodcast.com to contact and support the show and that's it for this week so have a good one everybody <laughs>